Okay, if you're anything like me, uh, you've heard me say this, you have a love and hate relationship with technology, right? One minute the device in your hand or the one on your desk is working perfectly and everything is good with the world. And then the next thing you know, it just starts going haywire. And if you're like me, your first response is typically to either throw it up against the wall or throw it out the window. One of the two. Uh, but I'm no expert in, how, in technology. I really am not. But, but one thing I know is that when a device has gone wrong, what I like to do is hit the power button. And then when you hit the power button and turn it back on, you're hoping that when it turns back on, that it won't restart with the malfunction that it had previously. And so I would say that the same things that are apropos for our gaming systems, for our iPhones, for our computers can be said of our lives. And that we don't want to restart 2023, it's already been a month, but we don't want to restart 2023 with the dysfunction of 2022. And so over the course of the last few weeks, we've been talking about this series, or we've been working through this series called Reset. And today we've reached the end of our Reset series as we kick into our Relationship Rehab series next week. But we've talked about how you can be fully and wholeheartedly devoted to God. We, we've talked about the importance and the beauty of assessing the prophetic word from God. And last week, Pastor Jacob told us so eloquently of the importance of embracing a Sabbath or a 24-hour period in which we cease from working and we trust in God to work on our behalf. And so, friends, I, we've talked a lot about those practices, but I want to um, encourage us today that as we're seeking to explore those other practices, to not forget this as well. That as you begin to think about resetting in 2023, I want to encourage you to not forget the regular and consistent pattern of Bible reading, of Bible reading. Now, now I know you might be wondering, um, Pastor, why, why should we uh, be reading the Bible, <laughs> right? Uh, why should I wake up a few minutes? I told you the power of heat was on the way. Look, it will just came in. We all right now. It's coming in, right? Like I told, we talked about how some of you wonder, like, Pastor, why should I get up and read the Bible? Isn't it an archaic book? Isn't it something that's really, really old? Like, how is it modern and relevant for my life? Well, today what I want to do is I want to take a few moments, and I want to talk about the beauty and the importance of reading your Bible on a regular basis. Is that okay? So this is what it says. I'm in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. This is what it says. All Scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching and rebuking. I know we love to be rebuked for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Here's let me give you a little context for this passage this morning. And then we'll jump in. The person that's writing this passage, his name is Paul. Paul planted and started churches all throughout the Mediterranean region in the first century. And so he starts these churches, and he's writing to his young protege. His protege's name is Timothy. Timothy is currently at a place in Turkey called Ephesus. And he's been there for a long time. He's been there for about a year. But Paul has not written to him recently because he's been imprisoned. He's been imprisoned because there's been a lot of persecution that has gone on. There's been a lot of issues that have arise. So in this dark and damp basement, in this prison, um, in a Roman jail, he decides to grab parchment and pen and begin to write this letter to Timothy. 
And so he writes to him almost like what we could describe as a state of the church. He's like, listen, I want you to know that my departure is near. I'm about to die. I'm about to experience a beheading because Nero, who's the emperor at this time, hates Christians and is using our deaths as a means of gaining political traction with people. And so I'm about to die. But before I do, I want want you to be reminded of something. First thing I want you to be reminded of is don't you forget the rich heritage of your faith that has been passed on to you from your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I don't want you to forget that. I I know that difficult times are going to come, but I don't want you to abandon the faith that got you to this point because you are dealing with adverse circumstances. And I would say the same thing is that he said to Timothy in this passage also is important for us. Don't you forget the or abandon the faith of grandma and granddaddy that got you here just because you're experiencing adverse circumstances. Because this same faith, the one that, uh, that, that caused Jesus to raise again from the grave, the same faith that was good during the civil rights era, the same one that was good for baby boomers, the same one that was a good for Generation X and the silent generation, is the same one that's good for us today in modern times. That Jesus may be our, he, Jesus is timeless and his principles aren't archaic. And so, so one thing we see is he says, I want you to glean from the rich example of the faith that has been passed down to you. Don't overlook it just because you have YouTube videos now. Don't overlook it because you have access to the World Wide Web and Instagram videos and all that. He's saying all of that is sinking sand. Don't forget to plant your feet on the solid rock of the scriptures. And so not only does he say that, but he says, I want to give you some final instructions. Final instructions are, I want you to know that all scripture is God-breathed. And that it's, it's important for rebuking and correcting so that the man or woman of God can be prepared for all type of things that may occur in life. So that's what he tells them. And let, let me just say this. A few years ago, I've grown to love reading books. Love, love to read books. Like, um, I especially, I'm going to be honest, in this season, I've been reading a lot of memoirs. Um, I picked up, I just finished yesterday, the memoir of Stephen A. Smith. It's called Straight Shooter. Anybody picked that, read that book yet? No? Ah, okay. All right. Whew. Okay. All right. Uh, it is, it's a great book. It is. Uh, it gives you an immersive experience into Stephen A. Smith's life. So you begin to learn how he is this kid in Highlands, Queens, and how he becomes one of the most recognizable faces in the world. And, like, as I was reading, like, I got to be honest, like, I was constructing images from his childhood in my mind. Like, my heart ached as he talked about the death of his mom. I mean, I was reading about the death of his mom in pure tears, like, bawling. I was like, what are you doing, Ernest? Get it together up here. Stop being so overly emotional in your office reading this book, right? I started to cry when he talked about his brother, Basil, how he died in a plane crash or in a car crash. Like, my heart ached. As he was talking about becoming a father and becoming a household name with ESPN, like I had so much joy in my heart. And although I could, it was almost as though I could hear his voice as I could hear his voice as he wrote, and I was vicariously living through and constructing these spoken images. And I know, friends, I know that we live in a time where reading is not as popular. But as I read memoirs, I'm, as I read that memoir, I was just reminded of how much reading does impact our lives. I mean, think about it for a second. Um, you may have this thing called Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Maybe you are on socials. Um, and maybe you don't deal with this as much. But, but think about how when you scroll on your timeline, when someone tells, airs out all their business, how that makes you feel. 
You'd be like, no one on here is a counselor. It's no need for you to be expressing all of your private business online, right? Or think about like, like someone, maybe you don't deal with this, but, but your friend expressing their political views. It, 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 like, so what happens is it affects how you feel. It affects what you say. It affects your worldview. It, 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 it changes how you view reality. Listen to this. If reading a memoir or reading a news feed can affect your well-being and worldview, how much more can it be if you read the scriptures? Because get this, family, because when you read the Bible, you're really reading a memoir. A memoir is God revealing himself to us over time so that we can know a little bit about who he is. And so that we can be welcomed into his family, so that we can be a part of this family of God, be equipped and given purpose and meaning, and so that we can make an impact in the world by spreading the kingdom. Are y'all hearing me? So that's what it is. It's a memoir. So this is what I want to do. This is for my type A people. Uh, here's what I want to do today. The first half of this message, I want to be a seminary professor. Y'all have heard that before. Don't fall asleep on me. And I'm going to talk to you about the difference between inspiration and revelation. And on the back half of this, I want to give you four reasons why to read your Bible. And then finally, I want to tell you a little bit of how you can do that. Okay? Is that fair enough? So let me, let me put on your thinking caps real quick. I think I can say that. But we're going to talk about this, all right? Now, when people talk about the Bible, for example, they usually refer to it as a book. But I think it's more accurate to describe it as a library of books, because it's written over a 1,500-year period by different authors in different genres. And so when we talk about inspiration, that's what Paul says. He says that all Scripture are inspired by God, or, or, the, or some translations say it's God-breathed. He, he, he's saying, like, I know that there are areas where the Bible is inspiring. Right? You ever read something in Scripture? You're like, oh, that is so good. I'm more than a conqueror. Oh, my gosh. I am. I got the victory, right? There's Bible, there's verses that are inspiring, right? Like, you know what inspiration is? Like, when you feel that feeling of exaltation, like, uh, maybe for you, it's reading a book. Maybe it's you going outside and going for a brisk walk. You're like, I feel so good. I told you before, I'm not an outdoorsman. I'm an indoorsman. And so I get exhilaration by uh, being in a comfortable blanket. Amen, somebody. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is Jesus. This is for me. This is good. Jesus drinking some hot cider. You know what I'm saying? That's inspiration. Pastor Jacob is different. He's like, no, we got to go outside and we got to cut down a tree and we need to construct. I'm like, bro, I don't want to do all that. You don't even wear a hat. How are you going to tell me? And so, that, so there are portions that are just inspiring. But when we talk about inspiration in the Bible, we're not talking about that feeling of exaltation. We're talking more about how God oversaw the composition of Scripture without error and made sure that it was included into Holy Writ. So what we're saying is how God oversaw, worked through the hearts and the minds of the human authors so that what's included in the Bible could be recorded without error so that you can know that this is actually the word of God. Are y'all hearing me? So that's called inspiration. But what God tells us about himself is called revelation. So when, when you say like, oh, I got a word, I just got some revelation. No, 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 no. What you got was illumination. Because God took that thing which is, had been revealed, and then he made you get some understanding of it. That is when he illuminated your mind to understand it. Are y'all with me? And so, so, that's, so what happens is somebody might be asking, well, let me ask you this. When you meet somebody for the first time, are you one of those people that overshare details? Or do you hold it back so that you share it with only a few people? 
That's a question. I, I'm an oversharer. I'm an oversharer. I'm going to tell you. I'm an oversharer because, listen, when you're trying to develop friendships, like I'm 37 now, when you're trying to develop friendships, like, I hate to make it sound like this, but you kind of like date dudes in a way, in a very platonic way. You want to know, is it go- are we going to be friends long term? Do we have chemistry? Because if we got to work at this thing, then maybe it just ain't meant for us to be friends. So I go ahead and overshare, talk to you, have a conversation. And if it just doesn't work out, bro, it just doesn't work out. We can still go work out at the gym together. Does that make sense? No? No, no that don't make sense. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Anyway. Anyway. So what was I even talking about? So, I, so I'm an overshare, right? But when I overshare, it's called self-disclosure. Self-disclosure is not just revealing the intimate details of yourself, like your childhood fears, your traumas, and all that. You're doing that so that you can build an intimate relationship with that person. You're revealing who you are so that they can get to know you and so that they can understand you and so that they won't trip on you when, when, they, when you're not acting at your best. And so what happens is in the Holy Scriptures, what you have is God revealing himself over time. Through parables, through stories, through histories, he's trying to let you and I know who he is and who he's like, who he's not. Now, why is that important? Because some of us sing these songs to a God that we really don't know. Mm. Some of us are infatuated with God for what he gives, but we don't know him for who he is. And so what happens is God is like, I know you like what I give you. But do you like me for me? Because all of those little cute Bible stories that I've told you all throughout the Genesis, all the way down to Revelation, are me, is me, revealing myself to me so that you can know that I can be known. That I'm loving, that I'm compassionate, that I'm trustworthy, that I'm godly, and that I have the best intentions for you, even though you don't understand my point or my plan. And so some of us need to read the Bible. Because we really need the images of God healed that we have in our mind. Some of us have some really, really awful misperceptions about who God is. We think he, we, you know why I said this before, but, but it's because we look at him through the lens of our earthly father. See, some of us had really great dads, so that helps us see God kind of for who he is. But some of us had very selfish dads or absentee dads, or we don't know them at all because they spent all their time and all the money spending their money on drinking with their buddies or going fishing and things like that. We don't really know who they are. So when we look at God the Father, we look at him through the same lens. And so what I'm trying to say, family, is what I'm trying to say, family, is this, is that when you reveal or when you read the scriptures, what you can begin to see is that he is loving, he's kind, he's compassionate, and he's not like your earthly father. That's what he's trying to let God, like some of us think, like God just wants me to try harder or God just wants me to do better or God's just this angry, miserable deity. Like he's not, he loves you. Here's what some of us think. Here's, this is what some of us think. Some of us believe that God is this angry de- deity who wants to make us miserable. He just wants to make us miserable. He uses these ancient commands and he tries to, and he tries to enforce them in modern society. Then he employs, get this, people like myself who are pastors, who are like the fun police. And we just don't want you to have fun at all, right? So we hoard all the power, all the money, and we oppress people, right? That's the perception. But what we see in the scripture is a beautiful story of who God is, that he created you and I in a particular place in a particular time, that he made us with inherent beauty and dignity. But at the same time, each of us are keenly aware of a brokenness in our lives. 
So that's why you can bless God one minute and cuss the next minute. I was singing some worship the other day. Ooh, I was in it. I was like, I'm going to see a victory. I was like, yes, this is good. Yes. And then somebody cut me off on the road. Ooh, I almost cussed like a sailor. I was like, I can't believe. And I put my hand over my mouth. But that's what happens. We, we're beautiful, but we're also very broken. We have intended dignity, but we also know that we're really, really messed up. But what happens is because of Jesus, because of God revealing himself fully in Jesus, he takes our pain, our punishment, fixes our brokenness, and he shows us who God really is. The reason I love Jesus is because he stood up to our biggest bullies, which is sin and death. Sin and death was going to overcome us and overpower us, but he didn't allow it. And when you read the Bible regularly, what it begins to do is heal all of these broken images. It heals all these broken rooms. So therefore, what you have in the scripture is, some, is a book or a library of books that has been written about or, or, or written about over 1,500 years, over 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages in a multiplicity of genres in poetry, parables, histories, and narrative. And it's all God revealing himself to us over time so that he can be known and loved by us. This is what he's doing. So Revelation is what God said and did. Inspiration is how it, was in, how it was recorded in God's word without error. Does that make sense? So some of you are wondering, is God indifferent? Does he care? Is he close to me? All of those things. Well, here's what we know from the scriptures. Is he's saying, like, I want you to RSVP to my invitation to read the Bible. Because that's how you would know that I'm not indifferent in all these different things. All right, let me give you four reasons why to read the Bible, okay? You ready? Four reasons. Write these down. Here's the first one. It tells you what you need to know. It tells you what you need to know. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm an inquisitive person. And so I figure that there has to be more to life than some of the experiences that we have. Think about the human experiences. This is not universal, but a lot of us are going to do this on Monday morning. We're going to essentially be startled out of our sleep by an alarm clock. We're going to hit snooze 17,000 times. Then get mad at the alarm clock because the last time you tried to hit it on the phone, it fell off the bed. You got to get under the bed to get the phone, right? That, that, that's one thing. Then we finally get the phone and then we scroll on the phone anxiously, just enough to our low-grade anxiety becomes full-blown. Then we leap out of the bed, shower, force feed, fight traffic or get on a Zoom call to essentially make money for someone else and be told that we need to be grateful for it. That's some of our experiences. And so some of us are like, is there more to life than that? And what the scriptures tell us is resoundingly, yes, that it answers the deep questions of life. Like, is there a God? Does he have purpose for me? Can he be known? Who are we? What is our purpose in our life? Is there life behind the grave? Furthermore, it gives you principles and precepts in the Bible for every area in life. I don't know about you, but if you go to the Google Play or you go to the app store right now, there is an app for everything. I mean, every single thing that you can think of. They've got AI software that will write your essays now. Don't go do that. Go ahead and write your papers. Go ahead and make sure you do that. Like, it's amazing what they have. And what I want to say is in a higher, holier way that the Bible has an answer or precept or principle for everything you're going through. What do I do with my trauma? How do I deal with that? Jesus says, come unto me. 
All those who are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me because I'm easy and my burden is light. Meaning that you might have to carry the yoke, but Jesus is going to carry the bulk of it. He's going to teach you a new way of how to handle it. Some of, us, some of us are wondering, how do I make decisions, right? But we know that James, Jesus' little brother, tells us if anyone lacks wisdom, he needs to ask of the Lord, who gives it generously and doesn't unbridle it. You have a situation. How do I deal with the difficult emotions? Habakkuk says in Habakkuk 1.12, have not you been for everlasting? You can vent your emotions to God because he understands you. Like, how do I challenge my assumptions? Just like the author of Ecclesiastes, he's a skeptic. He just thinks that the world is in a circle and everything that will be, shall be. What we see here is that God not only handles our emotions and our situations, but there's a, there's a precept or biblical concept for each and every problem that you and I experience on a regular basis. You and I got to read the Bible. So you get the fullest revelation of God, but you also get contemporary, you also, in this ancient book, you get contemporary solutions for all the problems that we have. So it has modern relevance. That's why he says that it's profitable for teaching. So guess what? It's worth it for you to get up in the morning time. It's worth it for you to get up, get on your Bible app, and get that Bible app to read to you. And that old English voice in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the sea, all. I need James Earl Jones to read the Bible to me. Well, if I had my choice, it'd be DMX. I know that's what, I mean, I do my DMX interpretation up here. Not tonight, Jesus. Not today. Not today. We won't do that today. Hey, yo. No, no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Not doing that. I'm glad y'all laughing. I got some funny stuff in here. I mean, it's some, like, when I get some of these other points, they're going to be funny. I really practice them, too. And so, uh, and so uh, what are we talking about? Uh, the, oh, yes, right. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. That's not in the notes. That's for free. You take that with you. Take that with you. I'm here all night. And so, uh, so no matter what you're going through in life, the scripture has modern relevance to help you with your, or with your difficult problems. All we have to do is read in context, understand, digest it, and God gives us answer. Here, here's the second one. It tells us where we've gone wrong. Ooh, amen to that. Like, not only does the Bible... Not only does the Bible tell you what you need to know, but it shows you how you have gotten off course. So the reason that one of the reasons that we need to read the scriptures is because it challenges you on your sin. It'll challenge you on your flawed theology and challenge you in the ways, challenge you about the habits and the ways that many of us have that will draw us away from God. And so what God does in the scripture is he confronts you in private before it becomes a public issue. That's why he describes himself as a wonderful counselor. I would like to describe myself, my wife will agree with this, I like to describe myself as sweet as pie now. Sweet as pie, just the nicest. I just want to smile, kiss babies, and shake hands now. But there was a time when I wasn't very uh, much of a nice person. I remember I had a friend, I won't tell you his name, uh, because I don't want to embarrass Pastor Derek Parks of Epiphany Wilmington, so I won't tell you his name. But he said, Ern, I need to talk to you. I said, yeah, let's chat. He said, listen, I want you to know that you're not very life-giving right now. I was like, I don't even know what that word means. He's like, well, you know, like, like sometimes you used to be really excited and you would come into a room and it would just be a breath of fresh air. But when you come in complaining and angry and mad, it just sucks the life out of the room. <laughs> 
I'm sharing intimate details and y'all laughing at me. And so I, I remember all I could say was, leave me alone. Let me go through what I'm going through. But you know why I appreciated what he did? I didn't appreciate the time. But you know why I appreciated it? Because he was just trying to talk to me in private. He didn't want me to be embarrassed in public. And he loved me enough in order to confront me. And so what I love about the scripture is no matter who you are, what your predilections are, who, how you're wired, God knows how to challenge you through that text so that you and I can live in a way and in a means that is honoring to him. Does that make sense, family? So here's what, he, here's what he's saying. Like, like when you live in accordance to God's will and command, he's, he's helping us to live in a way that honors him. Here's the third one I want to give to you. It offers solutions instead of only pointing out problems. Uh, I don't know about you, but in 2023, I wanted to be a more patient person. Anybody wanted to be that in 2023? It's really not going as well as I'd hoped, I'll be honest with you. I, I hoped it would go better. Uh, I still get angry when Hulu buffers, right? Still get angry. I still get upset when those YouTube ads play before my worship songs. I, I really do get upset with that. Like, I just can't get the YouTube premium. Like, if anybody wants to sponsor me, you can do that. I'll be at the next step station at the church. But I just can't pay that money. I'm working on it. But you know who I'm really, like, the people that I'm really trying to be patient with in this season? The people that point out solutions or point out problems but don't offer any solutions. Oh, you have them, you have them in your family as well. I, I'm really trying to be patient with them, right, in this season. I'm trying to be patient. Like, like I'm, 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 they, they, they identify things wrong but don't give you a practical and relevant solution in order to deal with the issue. I'm trying to be patient, y'all. But here's one thing that I love about the Bible. The Bible will identify areas in your life that are incongruent with Jesus, and then not only will he do that, but he will help give you solutions on dealing with the problem. He said, oh, your real issue is that you don't believe in the gospel. Because when you believe in the life, death, resurrection, and burial of Jesus, or life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you won't be grasping for so much control because you know that your life is in God's control. You won't look at money as a means of security for a rainy day or significance. That's why we wear so much expensive stuff all the time, because we want to feel valued. No, no. You'll see money as a tool to not only build generational wealth, but also as a means of expanding the kingdom of God. It's because you need to understand. You, you, you'll look at, you'll be patient with others because you can empathize with their pain. Why? Because I've empathized with your pain. You can forgive others of what they've done for you to do to you because I've forgiven you for what you've done to me. What you've done to you may have had your character assassinated, but sin caused me to be assassinated. I took your case. I took your pain. So therefore, when you understand the gospel, he begins to offer you solutions for problems. Here's, let me say this. When I was younger, uh, this is a good one, by the way. This is a joke, so make sure you laugh. Um, when I was younger, I had, I had braces because I wasn't like, you know, Michael Strahan, how he can just get the gap, like his gap looks good, right? I didn't have that. I, I wasn't very confident. My two front teeth like faced each other. And I remember I was laughing. I was like in sixth, seventh grade. I was laughing one day and I heard somebody say, man, how do you brush your teeth? That hurt my, like that hurt my feelings. And I remember telling him like, yo, shut up, man. Just leave me alone. And so my dad took me to the orthodontist, and um, the orthodontist, they didn't have Invisalign back then. So we had braces. And I remember 
the doctor or the dentist putting the braces on my teeth, and I was in the Marvel at that time, and I was like, Jesus, are these braces made of adamantium? Are these the same things that you use to bond Wolverine skeleton? Right? I was like, come on. If, if, if he did it today, I would say, man, these braces are harder than NBA Youngboy. Y'all don't know who NBA Young. Let me just not include that in the next service. NBA Youngboy. Never broke again, young boy? Okay. New Orleans rapper? Okay. Okay. <sighs> okay. Moving on now. So, so I put the braces on. And then initially when I put the braces on, they were excruciating. Excruciating. He was like, do you want the different color bands, Ernest? I was like, no, I don't. Just give me the regular colors. He, he, put, the bra- he put the band on the back of the tooth. And like in the front, and it was like closing my underbite. It was awful. But slowly but surely, those braces closed my gap, and they fixed my smile. And what I'm saying in a higher and holier way is that when you read the Bible, what happens is God begins to align our hearts so that they'll look like him. What he does is he closes the gaps in your character. He, he, all the areas in your life that are crooked, he begins to work them and help them look perfect so that you have confidence in when you walk into the power and presence of God. What I'm saying is that God uses the word of God as the braces to make sure that your heart aligns to him. Are y'all hearing me today? And it might be imperceptible at first. You might not notice it at first, but somehow God takes this ancient text, shows us that it's alive, causes it to lift off of the pages and work in and through our hearts so that we can do things that are honorable to him. Are y'all hearing me today, church? It's the braces of God. And as I get ready to finish, here's what I want to let you know. Here's the fourth one, fourth and final one. God uses the scripture to help us become spiritually fit. He uses the scripture to help us become spiritually fit. Like for a long time, y'all know, I've been fighting the dad bod, fighting the dad bod. I got tired of it one day. I got tired. My face was looking chunky in one of the YouTube videos. And I was like, I'm tired of this. Getting on the elliptical. Started getting on the elliptical. It didn't work. Uh, so I got a trainer. I told you this before. I got a trainer. Real buff dude. He got abs and muscles everywhere. You know, I was really, really jealous. Jealousy is a good motivator at times. I just want to let you know that. Godly jealousy, right? And so what he was doing, he's a trainer. And so what he was doing was he was helping me learn how to use the equipment. He showed me how to use nutrition and a number of other things. But one of the most compelling things he was doing was helping me embrace a counterintuitive lifestyle. So in other words, and as I get ready to close, in other words, we don't drift toward health. It's something we have to intentionally pursue because you and I are prone to self-destruction. And so because of that, what he was trying to do was get me to embrace a counterintuitive lifestyle so it would lead to long-term health, to lead to diabetes going down and heart rate, all of that type of stuff, developing my cardiovascular system. And what I'm trying to say is that the scriptures say that it's good for training because it's like in a higher holy way, your trainer. It's trying to help you live a life that's counterintuitive to the one that we would normally lead. And so what he's trying to do is shape us and mold us so we can be spiritually healthy. But here's the thing that I learned is that it doesn't matter how much you actually train, you have to consume the right things. You have to make sure that you are eating the right things. I don't know about you, but uh, since 21 days of prayer and fasting, I probably gained like 25 pounds. (laughs) At least. I ate so many beans and beans and rice and 
and broccoli. I ate so much of that stuff. My skin was clear, though. Amen. I was looking like Daniel and the three Hebrew boys with the, with the, with the smooth skin. But I was like, no, give me unhealth. Give me the cheesesteak, salt, pepper, ketchup, mayo. You know what I'm saying? All of that. Give, it to, give me that with the fried onions. We don't put whiz on cheesesteaks. But anyway, like, here's what really matters. In order for you to be healthy, you have to have the right diet. Otherwise, you will feel adverse effects in your life. And what I fear is, even though some of you are training and reading the Bible and studying the Bible, like some of us are like doing our Bible app, what's happening is we're also consuming some other things that are not very helpful. You can't grow watching twerk videos on Instagram. You can't grow. I shouldn't say that. You can't grow watching scantily clad people and obsessing or lusting after them even though you already have a spouse. You, you, you can't grow if you're watching, if you're on Zillow all the time looking at houses that you know you can't afford in this season but upset with God that he didn't give it to you. You can't do that by watching other people in your field and being jealous of them that they have success that you and I don't have. What I'm saying is, is I want to ask you in this season, what are you consuming? What are you reading? What are you looking at? What are, what, what's going on? Because I'm telling you, like in 2024, in just a few more months, like it's going to be a crazy political season. Conspiracy theories are going to run amok. We're going to be in a, in, a, in a society right now where it's just going to be a lot of polarization even more than it is right now. And it's going to seek to cause division among us, particularly being in a multi-ethnic ethnic church with a bunch of ethnic minorities and other ethnicities. And so what I'm saying is you have to be very careful about what you ingest in this season because it will manifest itself in the body of Christ. That's what I'm trying to say, family, is that we've got to be careful in this season. Careful what we ingest. And let me just say this. We have to be careful what we ingest. Like, I know I was broken up this week over what happened with Tyree Nichols. It's a, it's a terrible thing. I, I pray that God amplifies the voice of police officers that are trying to do the right thing. I pray that he does. We need law enforcement. But at the same time, I pray that he brings justice to those who have caused issue. Right? So we're going to pray in a second for the city of Memphis and all that. But what I'm saying is some of us have been watching that video on, not on repeat. We've just been watching it. We've just been looking at it. And we've been looking at Instagram, and we've just been ingesting that, and it's causing some of us to wonder, like, God, if you're so good, why would you allow something like this to happen? Well, let me just say, it's an evil tragedy. It's an evil tragedy, but we are the ones through sin who have broken the world. It's us. It's because of Adam in the garden eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when he did that, it caused a cataclysmic effect over all of society. But Jesus came to reverse the impacts of sin, so that you and I could put it to death and could live a new life in Jesus Christ. My wife told you a little bit about this last week, but I had to rush my daughter, Mayla, to the hospital. I erroneously bought her some waffles with wheat in them when she has a gluten allergy. And so she started to complain about her throat being itchy and all of that type of stuff. So Sarah put the clothes on her and rushed her to the hospital. Got to the hospital, she threw up, which was a good sign, but she still had some other symptoms. And so the doctor said, you know what, I've got to give her this EpiPen. And so she pulled her pant leg down, they jammed the EpiPen into her leg. She was hysterical. I put the phone to the side and just started weeping. Because nobody wants to see their baby go through that. But then I put my phone back on, and a few minutes later, the effects of the gluten had been reversed. And I was very grateful for that. But then I realized 
that in a higher and holier way, this is analogous to what Jesus has done for us. Internally, each of us has this thing called sin that is seeking to turn us from the inside out, that's seeking to harm us. But Jesus became the divine EpiPen that has been jammed into our souls so that it can reverse the effects of sin in our heart and mind. But you won't know about the beauty of Christ until you get into the Bible. You won't understand the beauty of Jesus until you start reading the scriptures. You won't know about his brilliance and his love for us until you start reading the scripture. So no matter where you're at today, here's what you can do. If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, I want to encourage you to get on a one-year Bible plan. Read the whole scripture. It usually comes with a commentary. Read, read a one-year Bible plan with the scripture. It, it's tough when you get to Zechariah. Now I'm just going, I ain't going to hold you. It's a little tough. That's why you have to have the commentary with, with it because you're like, I don't know what's up with these horses in the sky, the sky falling. Like, I'm just not so sure about that. But maybe you're new. Maybe you're feeling like overly emotional this season because it's been crazy. Read the Psalms. The Psalms are the ancient prayer book of Israel that you can read. And no matter what you're feeling in life, there's an emotion in which the psalmist can align with. But maybe you just need to be confronted with Jesus and who he is. I want to encourage you to read John. Read a translation that you can understand. Not with the deeds and the doubts. You know, you don't speak like that. You don't speak in Elizabethan English. You speak regular English. So get you get like a CSB, NIV, something you can understand, and read it so that you can be confronted with Jesus and learn how He's the divine epipen that reversed the effects that was impacting us long term. So let me pray for you, Father. I thank you so much for those under the sound of my voice. Thank you for your goodness and your grace, Father. I just pray for all those today, uh, Lord. We pray for the city of Memphis today. For everyone in Memphis that is experiencing upheaval and revolts, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring calm. We pray for the family of Tyree Nichols today, Lord. Um, Lord, as they are struggling with the loss of the son with something that was so unjust, Father, we pray for them. We pray for the, the police officers in Memphis today, God, some of which are abhorred by the behavior of their co-police officers, Lord. We pray that you would amplify their voices and bless them, God, that you would use them, Lord. We need good law enforcement, and we just ask that you would do something for your glory, Lord. We pray that you would do something right now, Lord. We need you. We honor you, Lord. I pray for all of those who have been watching this video incessantly, and it's been messing with their psyche and their conscience, making them doubt the goodness of God and wondering why he would allow something to happen. Jesus, help them to see you in all of this. Help them to see and experience the power of God that leads to salvation. So, Lord, we love you. We honor you and we give you glory in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, why don't you say amen, amen.